for Run DMC right there. Maybe, maybe Aerosmith, I, I, I don't know. Um, hey, just really quickly before we, uh, we jump into the matter at hand, just want to emphasize the Scent Community Experience that's launching on the 16th. There are, I believe, eight sessions, like Eric said, over the next 16 weeks. Great way to get connected. Great way to find out where you fit in this picture called Heartland and in the broader picture called the Kingdom of God. And um, as, a, as a leadership, I'm just telling you, we've rearranged our calendars and everything so we can all be on, be there, all hands on deck, all hearts on deck. It's going to be awesome. So we really want to encourage you. Please sign up and make that a, a priority today. Also, I just want to clarify something, maybe just call a very important question uh, to task here. Eric, um, is it avocado or avocado? I, I don't know. Do we, do we, you know, you say avocado, I say avocado. How many are avocado people? Is this a California thing? I don't know. That's where I'm from. Avocado? Avocado? Okay. So it's interesting. See how different we are? We're just, it's amazing. Here we are. Hey, let's just move on. Um, have I told you, have I told you the story of how I eluded the grasp of El Chapo? Anybody, have I shared that story before? You know El Chapo, the great, uh, uh, great uh, drug, drug kingpin out of uh, Mexico, one of the leading cartel, drug cartels out of Mexico. Yeah, so I did. Um, let me just start by saying I'm fine, and everything turned out okay, and also Happy New Year. But we were in 2004, a group of us from Heartland, uh, particularly at the time, it was our young professionals community. We had gone down to work with a local church in Monterey, Mexico. And on our way back, we came to the border crossing. And if you've been to Mexico, you know this is at the Laredo crossing. Um, but just about anywhere. The lines to, to get into the United States, super long, can't even see the border crossing at all. All you know, you're stuck in line. We're in this big tour bus when, um, when we hear, I hear the bus driver say something like, ay caramba, and then the bus dies, like right on the spot. We're in, we're in this long line, and we'd run out of gas. And, um, you know, so we're sitting in this line, now we're holding up traffic, the whole thing. Well, I had a flight out of, I want to say, um, San Antonio. I had to get back to KC, don't remember why, but a few others on the bus were in my same situation. And, and here we are, we don't have gas, we're stuck, we don't know what we're doing. And so one of us came up with a really awesome idea. Let's get off the bus and walk across the border. Couldn't even see it. It was so far away. Didn't, didn't know where. All we knew is if we followed the, the line of cars that ultimately we would get there. So we all, what would you do by the way? In, in a moment. How many of you would be like, that's an awesome idea. Let's, let's, let's go walk across the board. Has anybody actually walked across? It's a fascinating experience, let me tell you, right? So, our, so that's what we did, about five of us. We got off the bus, we grabbed our bags, and the plan was just to walk in the direction of all the cars. That just seemed to make the most sense. But when we got off the bus, there were some high school teenagers um, that, that were local to the Laredo area, and they say to us, amigos, amigos, this way. And we're looking that way. That's where the border crossing is. And we look at the direction that they're headed and pointing towards, and it's a, an alley. 
that seems to go perpendicular to the direction in which we want to go. So now what would you do? Stay in line with the cars or follow them down the alley? Yeah, we follow them down the alley. <laughs> and um, and I, I mean, you know, now I've been to Mexico many times, deep fondness for the people of Mexico, feel relatively safe like you would in any kind of foreign city or any other large city in the United States. You always know there's some, some risk particularly when you're carrying luggage and, you know, and all those kinds of things. And there was a certain kind of ignorance about the, the Laredo area. We didn't know, but we followed them, and I'm very happy to say they led us straight to the border, and, and we were able to, to tip them, and we walked through the pedestrian uh, crossing through, got on our, found a taxi, got on the, the, the flight and made it home. And, I, you know, and, and that's when I would say, oh, I forgot to tell you this part, what we didn't know. What we didn't know was that there had been kidnapping sprees, there had been mass murders because El Chapo was trying to take the town of Laredo from the drug pen leader that was in charge of at that time. So we were right in the throes as we're getting off the bus, as we're going down this alley of actually this war zone. We were completely clueless, but made it okay. And that's when I escaped the clutches of El Chapo. And it's when I, it's when I beat, him, beat him out in... Um, in my, and that's, that's my breaking bad picture, I was told, is what that is, is what that is. Here's the point, here's the point. The point is, is that we are all, as human beings, we're walking, uh, we're walking in a direction, and if you're standing still, you're, you're going backwards, so uh, we are all going in one direction or another. The question that we just have to ask here in the new year is, what direction, direction is that, and is that working? Is that direction working? And we are blasted with all sorts of messages, whether it's Aerosmith, Run DNC, or down some dark alley, or from the Scriptures, we're, we're blasted with the message of, here's the best way to walk, and how do you know? Now, in the, in the New Testament, we've been in this letter called Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, um, and we've been in since uh, Easter of, of last year, and we took a little break over the holidays, and we're jumping back in now. Paul, one of his favorite metaphors for a decisive course of action is the word to walk. Peripatein is the, is the Greek word, and he uses it five times. I want to show you kind of the quintessential kind of landing point for Paul. This is the goal of the sermon. This is the goal of this whole series that will go uh, through spring break and beyond. Here it is, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. If you get anything from today... Uh, and I think just for our lives, this would pretty much sum it up. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. I love how we sang that song, um, that you are chosen, we are His, we're His kids. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. What does it mean? I just want you to think about this from the very start. What does it mean to walk in the way of love? To know that you're beloved and to walk in the way of love. Now, we're going to rewind. We're going to go dip back into chapter 4, where Paul, in kind of a classic Pauline kind of fashion, is going to give us two distinct ways of walking. He's going to say, there is a way to walk with God, and there is a way to walk apart from God. 
And we're going we're gonna to follow a progression of what that looks like to walk apart from God, and we're going to see ourselves in it. This is not a they, other people do this and we don't. This is, we actually all do this. But what is Paul even saying by this passage? He's saying that when you walk with God, you experience the life of God. You're in the family of God. And when you're in the family of God, you know that you are His kids. You're His kids. And when you're His kids and you know that He is good and He's trustworthy and He's strong, then there is a sense of deep an abiding peace about that. Um, as psychologists, uh, one counselor, Larry Crabb, would say, you have security, you know that you're safe, and you have significance. You know that you matter. The life of God, knowing that we are His beloved kids, gives us a sense of groundedness, a sense of peace. And this is how we walk in the way of Love, knowing that we're loved. That's the simple path. That's the path we're going to advocate from the very start. This is maybe the goal in all of life. How do we know that we are loved, that we're significant, that we're secure, and how do we love others in the way that Jesus has loved us, just to boil it down? Now, let's rewind for a second, though, because Paul likes to give us two contrasting pictures and he gives us a really hard core. I'm going to say that I think this is one of the harder, harder passages in all the New Testament. This might trip your, your trigger a little bit as we read the path that Paul outlines for someone who's walking apart from God. Let's read it here. It's in chapter 4, verse, I want to say, 17 and 19. So I tell you this, he says, and, on, and, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Okay, see what he's saying? He's going, don't walk this way. Don't walk this way. Gentiles are anyone who is non-Jewish, and so it almost becomes a metaphor for someone who's apart from God. In the futility of their thinking, Paul is saying, look, the way that you walk, the actions that you live with your life, in fact, walking is just really a symbolic word for the, the way that I live my life externally in relationship with others. That's what walking really means. And it starts with thinking. Our minds matter. Our worldview matters. Input matters. How we're impressioned, how we're influenced, what goes on here in our minds will ultimately lead out to how we live our lives. And Paul describes it as a futility of thinking. And then it just gets really uh, so much more cheerful after this. Here's what he writes. They are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they, are, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Happy New Year is, I think, what Paul wants to, to say to this moment. Is that a harsh, harsh passage? Some of you might right now be going, oh, yeah, I forgot. This is why I don't like going to church. I get that because maybe this has tripped a little bit of a trigger. This is all about do's and don'ts and behavior and all that. No, no, no. Just remember, this comes back. Paul's whole point is to say, I want you to know that you are loved. I want you to know that the whole goal of all of these things is about living a life, your best life, in love. And he's going to give us, I think, a very helpful contrast between that life and the path apart from God. And I think we'll be able to see ourselves in it. And, if, but, and I'm going to build a little progression here, and it's going to get all messy, and hopefully you'll be like, oh, that makes sense, that makes sense. And then you'll look at this whiteboard later and go, that makes no sense. That's kind of where we're going in this moment. So... Just so we have a picture of what Paul is saying, how not to walk, I want to give you a visual image. We have a, 
we have a YouTube, YouTube sensation in our midst. His name is Jalen Jenkins. And here's a shot of him and his family. Jalen is the far left there. He has mastered the art of walking in the wrong way. It's called Pratt falling, which is a comedic form of falling down on purpose. And Jalen began doing this when he would get out of school. He would run, uh, the bell would ring. He'd run to his parents' car, and on purpose, he would trip and freak out all the, you know, administrators and teachers and other parents. Meanwhile, Jalen's parents are sitting in the car laughing hysterically and filming the whole thing and loading it up on Twitter. It got picked up, went viral, ESPN's reported, all sorts of media outlets. There's over three and a half million views. And so, as a way to remember what Paul is saying, how not to walk, I introduce to you Jalen Jenkins. Check this out. It's funny. <laughs> that awesome. That's so awesome. It takes great confidence to do that. How not to walk. How not to walk. The futility of doing it over and over. Well, what does Paul say? What's, what's the progression or path? Um, the first word that he uses is you're separated, he says, from the life of God. What's interesting about this word separated is it's the word used um, to describe a relationship right before restoration or reconciliation which I think is kind of interesting. It's maybe the word estranged. Like, I've been estranged with a, with a brother before, and now we've been restored. And so, I use that word almost fondly now because I know what God has done in our midst. So, even when God says separated from the life of God, there's this futuristic sense of saying the story's not over. This is once what was true, and even if it's true right now, it won't ultimately be true because I have in my heart, in my mind's eye, a day when we are back together, when you're one of my restored kids. So even from the very start, it's a fascinating use of word. You're separated from the life of God. Now, when you're separated from your maker, the one who knows you most in intimately, the one who created your inmost being in your mother's womb, the one that has every day of your life written in his book of life, when you're separate or apart from that, then there's a sense of being orphaned. And as an adoptive father, I just want to say, I don't use this word lightly. But to be orphaned, there's this sense of going, I don't know that I'm secure. I don't know that I have significance. And in fact, part of my own life and story is mystery to me. It's not even known to me. Something has been cut off to me, and I feel orphaned. And, and in fact, Paul uses the word ignorance. Now, we use the word like you're so ignorant in a pejorative sense. Ignorance just means you don't know. You're separated from the life of God, and you just don't know how good it is, how safe it is, how secure, how much peace there is. You're just, you're ignorant in that sense. You just don't know like an orphan wouldn't know their own full story. 
And when you don't know your own full story, when you don't know who you are and whose you are and to whom you belong and why you were made and what you were made for, then it leads to, I'll just use the word, angst, this kind of existential angst. Paul uses the term darkened, a, a darkened sense of kind of under, understanding. Here it is in the text where I just want you to see where he uses this word. They were darkened in their understanding. Now, that's not like they're dark, you know, like it's like we say that was a dark film or something like that. No, it actually speaks to the sense of significance and security. It speaks to a sense of my identity. Here's how that word is described in the theological dictionary, the New Testament. In significance for existence at the sphere of objective peril and subjective anxiety. So that word darkened doesn't just mean you're in the dark, you're clueless. It actually means in the deepest part of who you are, you are unsettled. You're not in a grounded place. Part of your own life and story is a mystery to you. And you compound this kind of subjective angst with a culture that I'm just going to use a word here, that is libertine. Libertine. Uh, Paul, as he describes the culture that's going down this path, he says this is a people who, has, who have lost all sensitivity, which really in that there's no sense of shame. You just do whatever you want and it doesn't really matter. And let, look at it with me here. And have given themselves over to a host of things, which we'll talk about in a second. They've given themselves over. There's this complete, you could say, they have permissioned themselves to death. They've just given each other a complete free, free pass. Now, I, I don't know exactly what was going on in that culture, but I would say in our culture, no matter actually what side of an aisle you land on or what cable news you watch or anything else, what's most pervasive in our culture is a deregulatory spirit that says, let's deconstruct everything and build it back upon my own choosing. In other words, we have an unregulated, self-centered individual at the core of our, of our human existence. Our culture would say, you are autonomous. You are in charge. You get to determine your story, your truth, and, and, and the whole host of, of other things. That we become autocratic in our own nature. Biblical anthropology, uh, conversely, would say, no, you and I, we have desires, we have appetites, we have ambitions. Those can be beautiful or those can be be uh, broken. But we are beholden to God and we are beholden to our community. And there is such a thing as being submitted to a higher authority. Our culture, in its libertine ways, is going further and further away from that. And it's leading to a desensitization, and it's leading to a complete giving themselves over. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, if I don't know who I am, and if I'm completely unsettled, and I don't have a bedrock beneath my feet, and then I'm told that I'm in charge, and I've got to go figure out who I am, and I've been so permissioned, I can, okay, so I'll go pursue. And what does Paul say? He just gives a list of examples. He says sensuality, he says impurity, and he says greed, okay? Just to, he just picks 
from a, a few things. In other words, what we have to do is we have to hustle. We have to strive. We have to go after it. Why? Because we want to make a name for ourselves. We want to know who we are. We want, to, we want to be established in this world. And so we just go after it. We go after it. And we go after it. And this, is, this looks so many different ways. This is the person who just goes, oh my gosh, the holidays are over. I, I, but I, I, I don't know what to do because now I don't have that to look forward to. So I'll just go shop some more. Or I'll go, I got to have the next thing. Okay, so the, 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 the college playoff game, that's Monday, okay, so I got that to look forward to, and the Chiefs are on Sunday. I just need kind of the next thing, or it's, I don't know how to live generosity. Eric got up here and told us ways to give, but I go, wait, wait, I can't, I don't know how to do that, or it's the CEO who doesn't actually treat his or her people well. Because actually, if you look at those three words, sensuality, impurity, and greed, you know what they all have in common? They all have in common the exploitation of others. And that's a really key point. I just actually want to write that down. That it leads to, I am despairing within myself. I have to hustle in order to make a name for myself so I will use others at their expense for my benefit. That's what greed is. That's what sensuality is. And so, it's the it's the 18-year-old guy just going after any sexual conquest, whether digitally or in the flesh. It's the 14-year-old girl saying yes to any, any offer because she hopes that says something about her. It's the corporate raider just stepping, uh, 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 taking advantage of somebody at their exploitation and not at their flourishing. When we hustle and we live in a culture that says you have to define who you are, it leads to this. But because it's such a despairing life, by, by the way, it's interesting, Martin Buber, the Jewish philosopher, would call this the, the I-thou uh, relationship, where you treat others basically, I'll just summarize it, you treat others as an it, as an it, not as a human being made in the image of God, not as a thou, but as an it. And that's what's going on here, because we're desperately trying to name who we are. But it never works, and it leads to just this cry for more. That word for greed that Paul uses just means a continual lust for more, for more. I just need more. I just need the next thing. That will make me happy. This next conquest, this next pay raise, this next thing will get me back to where I want to go. We just do it over and over again. The interesting thing is, it's just kind of this circle, this futility of thinking where we just kind of go, okay, I'm just going to do it again. And then he uses this phrase, it's fascinating to me, he calls it hardness of heart, which is a phrase Jesus uses a lot to describe our posture towards God. And so it's almost like we go this path, we do this, we're on this like, you know, what's it called? Hamster wheel, right? Treadwheel, treadmill, we're just doing this thing, but then when we come at, up to the thought of God, we say, God, how could you? Why did this happen? Where were you? And I just, I just and I think that's a fair question sometimes, but sometimes I don't think it's a fair question. Sometimes I think God's going, where was I? You never invited me in. And then when things get rough, you turn to me with blame or shame. 
that's a hardening of heart. And you do it over and over again. Brene Brown would say, as a macro perspective on our American culture, that we are the most in-debt, obese, addicted, and medicated adult cohort in U.S. history because of this cry for more and for more. Let me give you a picture. So, uh, Adam Stuber, one of our musicians up here, he gigs a lot around town, and he was at the Power and Light District. Uh, This is now a few months ago. And it's midnight-ish, who knows, 1 a.m. or whatever, and he's out on the street outside the Power and Light District, and he's packing up his car with his gear, and he notices there is a new massive dent in his front right fender. There it is. And he's like, what just happened? And there were some people, you know, loitering on the street, and they said, well, there was this guy just completely plastered, and, and he just took a head dive into your car. So this dent, let's bring it back up here, that dent is a dude's head. And he said he went straight out of the car, straight down to the ground, kind of shook his head, and then wobbled himself up the feet and stumbled away. Surely, like, by the next morning, having no idea why the headache, why the bruise, why, why anything. Now, I have a tremendous compassion for that guy. Why? Because he's living in a culture. I, I don't know, by the way, and it's a helpful example because don't know him, it's anonymous and all those things, but as a picture of someone who perhaps is not living the life of God, feeling a sense of, I don't know who I am. I don't know how to work it out. And culture says, just go to power and light and forget about it, right? So I'm going to hustle. I'm going to try to stack my cups, and it's going to leave me going back again. The Scriptures would say, like a dog returning to his own vomit. And that's kind of the picture that we're offered. And this is why I love the turn that Paul makes. Paul just goes, but now I'm telling you, however, to not walk this way. Look with me here. He says this, this is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ, there's another way, the life in Jesus. And when you were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, that's this way, to put off your old self, which is being completely, uh, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds, remember our thinking matters, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is offering us the other path, the path of saying, you are so loved. The path of saying, you're my kid. And my son, Jesus, laid down his life on your behalf. And I'm calling you to walk in the way of love. Now, what's fascinating, when he says you've been created like God to live a life of true righteousness and holiness, we've looked before, what does that word righteousness mean? It means right what? That's right, right relationship. Less about conduct and more about being in right relationship with God and with others. Holiness. You know what that word holiness means? It does not mean perfect in conduct. It doesn't mean without blemish, like you've never messed up. It actually means being devoted to God in the service of others. 
in the service of others. It means I'm serving other people. What is, what is the life of walking with God in the way of love? It's being in right relationship and joining God in serving my fellow man, my fellow woman. See how that contrasts between exploitation, between this continual cry for more? One more observation I want to make, and then we'll bring it to a, to a question mark for you. Is Paul, though being really clear, there's two paths we can choose here. There's nuance. And the nuance is he says things like, look, guys, I insist on this. I'm calling you to no longer walk this way. See, what's, what's less clear, it's like, you were once this way, and now you're this way, and you've never gone back that way. No, no, like, actually, there is a continuum. There is a, and uh, this was supposed to go straight across, but there is a continuum between our life of peace and angst. And sometimes what's true in my life is I'm really way over here, or in some categories of my life. Uh, I just, I've got stuff going on here. Sometimes I'm here, and I'm living in this place of knowing, man, I'm secure in the Lord, and I know that I'm significant, and now I know that I can, like Jesus, lay my life down in the service of other people versus hustling and trying to serve myself. You know, there's a picture that someone once offered of hell, just as an analogy. He said, imagine you're like around this massive, beautiful banquet feast. And these people who are, and it's described as hell, and, and they're all being served this, this soup that's fit for kings, just this amazing soup. And the grapes are there and the wine goblets are there. It's all there and everyone's there and everyone's so happy. But they have no utensils. And so the attendants bring out one utensil for each person. And it's like a 10-foot long, heavy wooden spoon. 10 feet long. Now for someone that's arrived at the gates of hell who's been living a life of serving themselves and exploiting others, how would you know how to eat that kind of meal. Because the only way would be to leverage your spoon into your bowl, and there's no way, your arms aren't long enough, your arms aren't 10 feet long, so there's no way you can actually get that, that ladle into your mouth. What do you have to do? The only way is to turn it across the table to the person across from you and feed them and serve them. And yet these are people so conditioned to having served themselves that they starve and they're famished. The banquet table of God is a beautiful mutuality of loving and of serving. And there, there, there might be some of us here in this room that whether you... You connect with every word. You just go, the progression here is true. And I've been living this cycle. And I've been living this circle. I've been doing this over and over again. And I just keep thinking, I'll do it better. Or I'll do it differently. Or I'll finally get there. Or I'll finally make it. And the truth is, if I'm honest, is I've been walking a life apart from God. And Paul says to you, there's another way. There is the life of God. 
and you have a Father in heaven who loves you. And he's beckoning you around his table. And he's calling you his son, and he's calling you his daughter. And all that's required of us to walk this way is simply to walk his way, to walk in the direction of God who loves you, who forgives you. And even in that moment, think for that young man out in the power and light district with a bruised head. I think God's heart just breaks for him. And God was with him in that moment. And God is saying, not just walk towards me, God is saying, walk with me. And I wonder if for you, you're hearing that as well today. And I wonder though, maybe some of us go, no, I've given my life to Jesus and I know I'm his kid, but the truth is, is that I'm in this category. Maybe it's the work category of your life. Maybe it's the relationship category. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's with your roommate. I I don't know. But you know that you have been living more on this side of the continuum. And so this year, maybe God's rising up and saying, how will you walk in the way of love that's different than the way you've walked before? How will you choose to walk with God towards God who has walked towards you? You know, I think I have um, many times gotten off the bus and said, I'm going this way. And God says, no, I love you too much. And that might not like look super safe, but I'm gonna call you to walk my way. It's always better. It always leads to a place of peace, security, and significance. How will you walk with God? Is something rising up for you? Is there a, is there a person that you're gonna serve differently, love differently? There's something at your job, you're going, okay, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, you're bringing this to my attention. Or is there just an outright declaration you want to make today to say, I'm tired of the old way and I'm ready to walk his new path to my new self once and for all. And so if that's where you are, today that's either your first time ever declaration or this is a rededication, I just want to lead us in a quick prayer to say yes to the path God is beckoning you to walk. So just pray this with me. Dear Jesus, I confess I have walked the wrong path far too long. And take just a moment And just if something is coming to mind that you feel convicted about, you just want to say under your breath, but to the Lord for this and for that and for this, whatever might be rising up, just say that to the Lord so he can just like expunge it so he can just set you free from it. Just offer that to him. continue to repeat after me. So Lord, today I say yes to your path. To being your loved kid. To receiving your peace. 
I will walk as a free man or woman to join you in serving others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may want to process this. We have some folks down that we'd love to come alongside you and pray. You can also go to the to the hub if you'd like to kind of process. I'm just curious, how many of you made a declaration this morning, first time ever? Would you raise your hand? Raise your hand. Awesome. How many for you made a kind of a rededication to say, I'm, I just know I need to renew in walking the path? Raise your hand if you did. Awesome. So Father, just over, over all of us in this room, by your Holy Spirit, would you put a seal on what you want us to know, what you want to affirm, and how you're calling us onto the new path. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray, amen. Let's stand just for a uh, quick reprise.